Welcome back to the Lauren Valor Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Watson. I am joined once again uh, by fellow authors and veterans, Joel Presby and Casey Azell. Uh, welcome hey. back. And we have for his second appearance, uh, the, the gold mine and repository of video game lore that is Brian <laughs> Erdnick. Thanks for coming back, Brian. My pleasure. I feel like it's been seconds. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no big secret. You can, t if you watch this back to back, you'll see we're on the same outfits. We are batch recording a little bit, uh, to try to keep ahead of the curve. So, um, so we just finished arcane episode five and we're going into episode six when these walls come tumbling down. Uh, and I feel like this pair of episodes has a lot of continuity, right? There's a lot of the threads keep going in this one. There's not a real hard break between between these two episodes so uh last time i let the new guy break off but so this time i'll throw it without warning to joelle all what right, right. episodes stood out for you what what was uh exciting what i want to know is we had a lot of exercises in the navy where we had to wear these gas masks and it was a long time and it was hard to breathe and you know what they definitely covered the eyes too <laughs> 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 that powder can become jinx and now she has magic eyes where the eye tissue is not affected by toxic gas that is still effective enough to quickly take out the baddies yeah no when we went into the gas chamber we totally took the eye inserts out and we're like yeah no i just need to not breathe it my eyes will be no you're right you're right yeah. <laughs> that's a not to point. mention mop four is head to toe yeah like yeah, you don't want that shit on your skin either. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of yeah, a lovely so, little yeah. concoction called mustard gas? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. But it is very stylistic and fun. Yeah, it is. It is. And from a storytelling perspective, it makes sense because, you know, we've talked so often about how these artists do such a good job with the um, facial expressions of the characters telling the story of what's going on and you know such that you can read their expressions as if they were like live actors um mm -hmm. when they're you know when they're animated animated drawings and um so i can see why they would want to leave the eyes undone plus it just looks cool yeah yeah <laughs> rule of cool Absolutely. right yeah. And I guess yeah. I didn't complain Brian. about the other part about oh, it. Sorry, the, the gas does mm -hmm. stay very tightly localized and doesn't obscure the whole screen. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I just, I didn't even think about that until now. <laughs> but hey, wait a minute. That, that might be a tiny bit inaccurate as well. Yeah. So one of the other ongoing series that I'm, I'm reviewing is The Terminal List with Mike, our fellow Bain author Mike Massa and one of my filmmaker friends, Sam Platisky. And we noted that, you know, like in the first episode, there's this gunfight in a sewage system. And the, the universal comment is that is the most well-lit sewage system <laughs> in history. <laughs> and likewise, it's like, okay, yes, in reality, you wouldn't be able to see a damn thing, but that doesn't work for this medium. So right. uh, we, 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 we take some liberties in our Magitech steampunk universe. But still, I, I love that observation, Joel. This is why we have an engineer. <laughs> that's funny that's funny so um i i wanted to ask the the parents in the room um what you thought about if if you had a child wins age how if you thought that child would sit there and play calmly with a stranger 
If they did, I haven't done my job. But speaking as a parent, I, here's my react. Here's my parental reaction to that scene. Right? If I'm Marcus and I have, I don't remember. Justin, can we swear or not? I don't. I don't uh, give it uh, 45 more seconds. The algorithm okay. doesn't like it, and you do it the first in the first five minutes. Okay. If we have effed like up power. so totally, <laughs> so totally that. Uh, the the city the city's un, you know the under city's crime boss is playing house of cards with my child you're not going to see me or that child again like i take that kiddo i take everything of value i have and i am gone yeah and, gone. and we have these special stargates that let you leave quickly exactly yeah, get a long exactly yeah Ma i am out I agree completely. I'm shooting both those henchmen and then I'm leaving with my kid. I'm shooting yeah. Silco, shooting his henchmen and leaving. That, that, and that's leaving. what I'm doing at that point. Yes. Because that being said, because um, this is one of my notes I definitely wanted to hit, is this illustrates something that we've seen in the real world over and over again, is how corruption becomes endemic. Because even someone who is brave enough to resist a threat to themselves, even someone who is um honest and has enough integrity to resist bribery beyond the dreams of avarice is still vulnerable to a threat to their family yep. a, a credible threat to their family so i really it's it's as again this uh, joelle i think you keyed on on it for the same reason all of us do is like as a parent it's the biggest fear right you know i jokingly say to new parents you know, it's the most wonderful thing in my life, but congratulations, you get to be afraid for the rest of your life now. <laughs> like you are vulnerable no matter what from yeah. now on. And that is a really, it's a trope for a reason. It's a trope because it works. Yeah. Well, um, and it, it isn't just parents either. It's, you know, anybody, anybody yeah. who you have allowed into that circle of, of, you know, I love this person. I love this person to the extent that I'm willing to enact violence on their behalf, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's interesting to me that we see that juxtaposition of Silco and, um, and Jinx and his interaction with Jinx and then Marcus and his, and his interaction with Ren, you know, um, I found that fascinating. And the other thing that I found fascinating about that is I thought, so most, most men that I have interacted with who have daughters are very sympathetic of other men who have daughters, right? So it's like, you know, if, if, if you're a dude and you have a little girl, you get that this other dude who will do anything to protect his little girl. It's fascinating to me that, that, and it's indicative of Silco's mindset, I think, and, and how he, to, to a certain extent, underestimates Marcus, that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't equate that all the things he's willing to do for Jinx, who isn't even technically his, his daughter, but he certainly sees her as one and loves her as one, that he, he, he wants to utilize Marcus's love for Ren, but he doesn't think about the, the lengths that Marcus might be willing to go to in order to protect Ren. He thinks that it's something that he can control. And I I I suspect it's not. And as a storytelling thing, I don't know how everybody else took this, but when I saw this interaction, it just built the world, my back brain started building all these reasons why he it must be there must be reasons why he can't leave. 
who who is the mother? Is there a custody arrangement? He has to stay in Piltover because we don't meet the mother, but she's not there. She should be there helping, but she's not there. Yeah. And, well, because he's a law enforcement officer, can he not actually go through without getting special paperwork approved? He can't just run. Are the other cities actually worse? If he went to the other cities, would he have to live in the under city of the other cities? Would he have yeah. to be his own equivalent and then try to to raise his kid with no connections and no not a significant amount of money? Who could he rob? What are we going to see in the next episode? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just this turns into a heist movie, and he's going to get the cash and he's going to run. I don't know. That's what my thing was one. My only Those comment are... is, Silco took his measurement, or so he thinks, in the previous yeah. episode of the grenade bit. Yep. So, Silco has good reason to think I can push him around because, yep. yeah, because he didn't pull the pin on the grenade. You know, yeah, I, I pushed him when he had an opportunity to take us both out. Um, and Silco is maybe miscalculating, maybe miss not, maybe not that Marcus is a worm. You know, he sees Marcus as he's just beneath contempt. I mean, he hated Bonder for betraying him, but there was, you know, he knew Bonder's metal. And he's yeah. probably like we never get an interaction with him and Grayson really, but he probably understood what Grayson was capable of. All he's seen from Marcus is his ability to compromise after compromise. Um, Joel, I think you're spot on with potential reasons why he just can't leave. Um, and based on the lore, Brian, I'd like you in a comment to in a second to comment on that. But then there's also the possibility is that Marcus, in his own mind, is probably still the hero of his own story despite how compromised he is and maybe is staying out of a sense of duty um, in part that he still feels duty to Piltover, even though he's massively, what timestamp are we at? Massively fucking it up. Um, <laughs> like that's, that, that's, that is a possibility with this character. And again, Marcus is a tertiary character. Yeah. They're still inserting and portraying so much humanity yeah, uh, and, yeah, and yeah. God, this this is why I was so excited about this series. Is yeah, everybody Such complexity. Crosses, yeah, everybody who crosses the screen gets so many dimensions. Almost, you know, if you're not just a back literal background character, you get treated like a fully fleshed out sentient being. Uh, mm -hmm. But Brian, in terms of lore, like is Joel kind of onto a point that like if you're in Piltover, maybe want to stay put if at all possible. Like, yeah, imagine. Uh, this is not an exact analogy, but let's talk like 15th, 16th century Europe and you're living in Venice. Gotcha. You're an independent city-state, very wealthy with trade, and everyone else is at war with everyone else. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'd still, I yeah. think I might still, yeah. but that's me, obviously, I'm, and I'm a little crazy when it comes to threats to my children, so... <laughs> I'm not saying your, your reasoning's off, Casey. I'm not, I'm not saying your reasoning's off. I'm just saying there might be other factors why a character like Marcus necessarily wouldn't. Um, I do think her reasoning's a little off on Silco. I don't think Silco sees Marcus as another guy with a daughter. I think he sees Marcus as another guy like Vander with a daughter who he could take. <laughs> Now that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting twist because he was playing with the little girl. Yeah. Mm hmm. Hmm, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh I I feel like there's not um 
there's not as much emotion wrapped up between Silco and Marcus as there was between Silco and Vander, though. Oh, I, for I, sure. I do think that Silco sees, you know, he hated Vander, Va- Va- Vander, sorry if I'm messing up the vowel there. Um, he hated Vander, but he also was involved with him in a way he is not involved with Marcus. Right. Marcus right. is another lever he switch he pulls. Right. In yeah. Way, in, in, in a way that I don't think if he was going to kill Marcus's kid, he would just kill Marcus's kid. I don't think yeah. he would bother trying to. And I think Silco is entirely capable of murdering a child, uh, yes. like based on his personality. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. I think you had something. Trying to, trying to think, remember what's future episodes, what's not yet seen. Um, Vander absolutely loved and, re- sorry, Silco absolutely loved and respected Vander, but Vander betrayed him. Right. So that's the spike, but the emotions around that betrayal are love and respect. He does not have respect for Marcus. Yes, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Though Marcus did arguably betray him a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, by by keeping uh, Vi alive. alive. Yeah. And lying mm-hmm. essentially, lying and saying she was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which means he's squeamish about killing killing little girls. girls. Yeah, which whatever else is other flaws, Marcus is not Silco. Right. Um, that, that that Marcus is squeamish about that. Um, but yeah, so again, like such a a comparatively minor character, but so much richness in his plotline and how they use him to eliminate Silco's character as well, mm-hmm. and how Silco flips between sociopathy and warmth, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. genuine warmth and genuine sociopathy in one person. That's really really fascinating. Um, I liked the, uh, the continuation of the Vi and Caitlin, uh, yes. in here yes. that very no much good deed goes unpunished. Um, and it's, yeah. so we have, uh, Vi takes a pretty bad fall, still not as unrealistic as Black Widow. Um, if you watch that movie, <laughs> um, Scarlett Johansson should have been dead several times in that one. Vi takes a pretty hard fall and we're, we're left community. What's yeah. that? Script immunity. <laughs> Plot armor. Yeah. Um, but so it takes a pretty bad fall, and we end up with the person who's naive of the ways of the street having to make them survive. So I appreciated this. Um, I, I like the acknowledgement Vi has a line when they're in the tent city with all the, the coke fiend shimmer addicts. Yeah. Uh, and she says, you know, this is a place people from the upper city don't want to think about. But it's gotten bigger, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Like I like that acknowledgement that it's like, oh wait, it wasn't the worst it could be. The last time I saw it, mm-hmm. under the new alliance of Marcus and Silco, it's gotten worse. Uh, and they're showing us, not telling us. Yeah, you know, I really love that. Yeah, fully agree. <laughs> Sorry, it's I- all right. I'm well aware that you probably can't answer because you probably can't separate <coughs> what is coming, but handing over your firearm yeah, dude. the medicine you really need. She was wearing I, jewelry. Like, take your freaking necklace off, you know? But I thought, that, yeah. I thought that trade was very interesting because when she did she took out the ammo first. Well, she took out the ammo. She gave the the firearm. She gave the the rifle, you know, through the cage. And I thought that the the creature, the little orc orcs or whatever the heck she mm-hmm. is, I thought it was very interesting that if if 
if it was like a, a matter of relative value, but she had the potion, but then she added something that looked a lot like shimmer to it actually. Um, mm. And I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just like, oh, okay, here's, you know, this is going to make it more potent or whatever. Um, I don't know. My read, like there's no lore to this. My read was it is inert. It does nothing or it is actively harmful in case you steal it. It is when I put this mm. eardrop bit in that it actually becomes useful. Oh, I see. That's smart for an apothecary. Yeah, um, that, 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 that seems a very intelligent thing. If feasible, I'm not I'm not any type of chemist. Well, yeah. given the environment of mm -hmm. rampant uh, desperation from addicts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That makes perfect sense. Um, um, but yeah, she was wearing jewelry. <laughs> you, had, you didn't have anything else? Come on, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the apothecary was honest. I, I was half expecting the apothecary to snatch back the bottle and the rifle and just be gone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you set, uh, if you are a, because they were, if I remember correctly, the apothecary is not a traveling peddler. Right. It was, no, it's there. Yeah. There's, you know, people know where to find you. You want to continue conducting business. You have to be at least somewhat within the tolerance of, when I sell you something, it does more or less what I say it will do. Right. But, but I get what you're saying, Joelle. Caitlin's a stranger. A trail. Yeah. And Caitlin's not from the turf. Yeah. Um, no. Who was the little guy? From the very first episode, he was the Damn. scientist guy that was at the negotiated table that Vander stepped in to save. Yep. Oh, yeah. So remember oh. that they're trying to bully him to, he'd made an underworld deal. Yeah. Providing, they tried to short him on the money. Yeah. And he stood up to them and they were like, well, we could just beat the hell out of you or cut you and take, and you get no money. And then Vonder stepped in and said, hey, how about right. you make an honest trade instead? So that's yeah. that guy. Okay. And he became a shimmer addict because he wanted to not feel afraid just once. Yeah. And that's when we find out that Silco Shimmer rules the streets. Yeah, that I thought that 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 line right there about I just wanted to feel for one, just once I wanted to not feel afraid instead of and then it, he gets interrupted. But I thought that that was especially now that I know who that is. Um, what a cool way of doing exactly what you said, Justin, of showing us how Silco's influence and the introduction of Shimmer into the ecosystem of the Undercity has changed things for so much for the worse, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's, and again, it's so fascinating to see a character who could be so intelligent, so brilliant, so competent, and so wrong. Yeah and still not understand that because it is again that echoes from the real world right you know the people who've committed atrocities were not incompetent we'd like yeah. to think they were we'd like to hang every iniquity in the book and every bad trait we can think of it's like no they were very effective mm -hmm. they were effective in the wrong direction mm -hmm. um and and silco is such a great example of that um yeah and i love um we're kind of hopping around now since i'm trying to avoid the blow by blow but I love Silco's confrontation with Vi yeah. and Caitlin, and I love all, almost all good fiction does this. I love when villains tell almost entirely the whole truth. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like that it's like, he's not, not lying to Vi yeah. about any particular. His, his, yeah. his interpretation, his analysis is twisted, 
but he's not lying. Um, so I really enjoy that. Uh, and I enjoy Caitlin thinking fast mm-hmm. uh, and bringing down the structure. Yeah. Um, I'll give room for other folks to talk before I go any further with that, uh, with that thought uh, on the confrontation, Vi and Silco meeting again and all that in case anybody else had an observation. Cause um, yeah. No, I just, I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. by that point I was so caught up <laughs> that I, I had turned off my analytical brain and was just sort of yeah. experiencing like the, the, you know, what was going on in the episode. Um, but I, I thought it was, you know, the, and the leash that he still has over all of these addicts, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of being able to just, he can have anything he wants. All he has to do is hand them these vials and mm-hmm. they'll do anything, you know, they'll become anything and, mm-hmm. and, and do his will. And he doesn't even have to risk like his good people. You know what I mean? Yeah. His valuable fighters. Um, that's, that was pretty, that, that's pretty epic. Right. Yeah. Um, and then again, I think we see maturity on Vi's part where instead of, you know, just throwing down, she runs and helps um, Caitlin with pushing over that weak structure. So, mm-hmm. and I loved how, as this confrontation is happening between Silco and Vi, you have Jinx, who may be still powder, but may just actually be Jinx. And I'm still not, I'm still not hundred percent on this, doing the thing, you know, she's heard her sister's alive. And so she goes and, and lights that, um, way long um, time ago <laughs> yeah, from, from yeah. before her siblings died and everything. Yeah. I, I, I want to get to that, but I also, help. yeah, but I also like, like, so you have the dual thing, you have, um, Silco lying with the truth to, yeah. to Caitlin and you have Savika lying with the truth to Jinx, right? Yep. You have yeah. like Jinx, even though she probably loves Silco as a father at this point is still smart enough to be suspicious. Yep. Um, and you know, when she tries to confront his Lieutenant, she's like, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. She's back. Uh, yeah. and you've been replaced by an enforcer. Yeah. You know? And it's like, now we know that maybe Vi has less than sisterly ideas about Caitlin, but the, but the, that that where like Savika is such a horrible, awful person that she knows right where to strike, and you think she's got the emotional upper hand on Jinx, but then, yep, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. because of the baptism yep. in the early in the last episode, where she just like I I, I drew. I drew a connection for sure between those two scenes, right? Because yeah. she let Powder go, because she became Jinx, she was able to not let the revelation that Vi is alive shatter her. Yeah. Instead, she, I guess, went to go find out for herself. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like her turning the turning the tables on Savika. Um, I yeah. actually kind of would have been okay if she'd killed Savika at this point. Like, uh, I know they were not wanting to go that far that fast, but Jinx is crazy enough at this point. I'm like, she killed her at this point. I think I would have been okay with it. Yeah. Um, Silco would disapprove. But that had some. she's pushing the boundaries on Silco anyway. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's probably too far uh, well, at this point. 
Silco already disapproved when she accidentally allowed the deaths of uh, six. Um, mm -hmm. at, at first, when we first watched the episode, I thought the six people who died were just gang members. But here it turns out that they actually were, you know, uniform wearing enforcers. Mm -hmm. So it was even more of a, of a complication for, for oh, Silco yeah. the industrialist. Uh, yeah. Extra little bit. Oh. Go ahead. Right. The building that Vi helped Caitlin destroy, Vi's own home. Right. Yeah. She, so help destroy your own home. This is a lot about cutting off your past as you move yeah. forward. Yeah. Yes. Um, the scene immediately after that, where we see Silco going into, with no dialogue, going into a crazed rage of kicking a random uh, uh, flunky, and Vi impotently freaking out of her anger of everything going on. She's like picking bites of random people. She bumps into them and wanders through the streets trying to figure out the hell where to go next because they're being hunted. And so there's this whole two mm -hmm. people expressing impotent rage over an unresolved right. conflict. Yeah. And I think that for me, I interpreted uh, Silco losing his cool is not about Vi getting the upper hand. Silco losing his cool is because now something is threatening his relationship with Jinx. Yeah, um, you know that that's why he lost his shit in the way he might not have normally, um, and I thought that was really well done um, because I don't think he doesn't waste material. He's not going to kick someone and possibly kick someone possibly to death just for shits and giggles, but he's lost control yeah. at that point because he's scared of losing. He's afraid. Where most rage actually comes from is from fear. Yeah, um, yeah, that was. I thought that was really great. He's lost control because. He fears losing control of the one person who matters to him. In a real way. In a real yeah. way, right. Because yeah. he's allowed her to to matter to him in a way that, that you know, maybe no one had in, since Vander, right? Yeah. So, you know, is he being, is he, is he, he's looking at it like, am I being set up for another betrayal? So. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we'll get to the torch, but that's kind of the, the climax of the the episode, so I think we'll we'll hold off on that a little bit, and we'll we'll kind of jump over to Jason Mel, or I guess, um, I guess Jason Victor. First. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, Victor. Yeah. <laughs> Victor's dying. I, oh, go ahead, Joel. Vic, Victor's dying. The 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 new magic. Well, okay, you can make plants, but the plants are dying too. So, I mean. Maybe, but I'm, I I haven't watched the next episodes, but I, I don't have a lot of confidence that Victor is going to, that if Victor lives, it'll be good for Victor. That, <laughs> that's that's what I'm like, thinking. I, I like the juxtaposition of, we talked a little bit about last episode about, you know, little boy Victor with his crutch and his paddle boat mm -hmm. uh, meeting the mad scientist and at first being fascinated and then as a little boy horrified. Yep by what the, the mad scientist is doing, but older Victor understands. Um, and that's that's very troublesome. Um, well, and this, this goes back to something I said in our last episode that when I um, inadvertently spoiled the <laughs> spoiled the, the flashback, which was the intro to this episode. Um, he says, I understand now. And what he's referring to is he understands the the hermit scientists statement about how the mutation must survive 
not the creature, not the organism, not the living being with emotions, but the mutation must survive. Victor understands that, but I think the only reason Victor as a grown-up understands that is because Victor as a grown-up has cut himself off from human connection. Yeah. Whereas Victor as a child didn't understand because he still he still hoped for that. He still wanted that. Yeah. So when he's talking to Heimerdinger uh, in his favorite spot in that little keyhole cut out uh, overlooking the, the river, he doesn't talk about his fear of death. No. What does he say to Heimerdinger? He says, you'll forget me Legacy. again. Yeah. 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 You'll forget my work just like everyone else's because I'm one brief win. And then uh, you referenced Blade Runner on our last episode. Uh, Heimerdinger references it this time. Those who burn most br brightly burn out fastest, you know. Mm -hmm. so, like tears in the rain. <laughs> like tears. I've seen people you I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, Amy was off the Orion Gate. Um yeah, yeah. Off Tannhauser uh, Gate, off the, the, the gate. belt of Orion. Yeah. The, the the hermit scientist, his name is Singed. It is mm. never stated in the show, but he's officially but that is the name he is credited at in the credits, and he is a lead character uh, in his own right. Oh, interesting. Now, okay. did you say league as in the name of the game or lead yes. as in No, league as in the name of the game. League. He's, oh, he's a playable character? He's a playable character. Interesting. Uh, from several years. I'm not going to say anything else. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then. Um, so Jace uh, goes back to Mel with a halfway decent excuse for not being there when she wakes up after, after her assignation. Um, yeah. and, and I I really love this scene because Jace is so clearly allowing himself to be completely vulnerable with Mel. And we all know that that is fraught, except for Jace. <laughs> Jace is the He's only so one. so naive, you know? Like, and that it's so, but that it's not so, like, because of Mel's characteriz characterization so far, and admittedly, maybe I'm fooled by a pretty animated face, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that she will abuse that trust, but it is certainly a possibility that she's going to abuse that vulnerability, and that uh, I think that's a very wonderful way, again, with both the voice acting and the animation, they portray the emotions of it all, to create mm -hmm. both connection and tension in equal measure in that scene. I really love that that sequence. I'm, I'm a sucker for that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, again, I, I said it before, but two things can be true, right? She is, I am a hundred percent certain that she's going to use him now, whether or not she's going to use him to his detriment or use him in a way that he's perfectly okay with, yeah. Um, that's that's remains to be seen, but she's a hundred percent going to use him. They've done such or a good job with their character. She she started yeah. a character that I was convinced was you know just going to be a flat villain. Like, all right, they've only got so many minutes, and it's just the the screen, and they have to draw it all anyway. They're going to spend their effort on the main characters, but I I like when she's when they're saying that that she is actually exiled here because um, for from her family, she was falling short of 
of their standards, it's got me wondering, okay, so is she worse than the rest of the family or is she too nice for the rest of the family? Yeah, same. Like, which, and I don't know. Yeah, because she's flawless. <laughs> she is flawless. So how is she falling short? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I can't wait to talk yeah, about and, it. And it helps, the, helps explain the, the previous episodes where she mm -hmm. looked so shallow and so focused on her advancement. Well, you know, if your whole family has told you you're a failure, you're looking for some way to not be, and it mm -hmm. makes you more vulnerable. And You're going to really enjoy the next few episodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so good, y'all. Yeah. Um, it's and, cool that it's cool that I mean it was always cool because Justin had had watched the whole episode or the whole series before Joel and I ever did, um, and then um, but now I think it's awesome that we have like a a two and two thing going on where two that don't know and two that aren't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really knows right because yeah, know, he actually knows the lore. I've just seen the show. I've never played the games or del delved into the lore that deeply. Um, but what's interesting to me too is Jace's next move is not anything Mel manipulates him into, right? Jace is taking the initiative at this point, yeah. wisely or not. And we have the 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 climactic political confrontation between Heimerdinger and Jace. Yeah. Uh, and this is just another example of these writers playing it so brilliantly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that Heimerdinger gives this great speech that, you know, is is all correct you know like everything he's saying is correct but it's not enough and you feel heimerdinger's caution that like i mean and we we're watching the show we're we're ex machina you know yeah, we're yeah, yeah. Show, and we know that heimerdinger's right this is gonna go wrong you yeah. know like, like we're looking at this tech that victor von franken um that victor's experimenting <laughs> with and we know this is going to lead to tragedy. We know it. You know, sure as Christ made little green apples. But you can, in the moment, I found myself rooting for Jace. You know, like as somebody who is the soul of conservatism, by the way, and doesn't generally <laughs> get behind uh, the cause du jour of the moment, I found myself rooting for Jace because he's right. Humans don't live for 100 years. And the impulse to address the problem now with the 80% solution rather than wait until past my lifetime yep. for the 100% yeah. solution was so Perfect is the enemy of the good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A good plan executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. Unless it's not. Unless yeah. it's not. Yeah. Right. References back to what we talked about in the last episode, right? The young idealism versus the leader with experience who has to compromise. Yeah. It's the same yeah. principle. Like that's yeah. why Heimerdinger's in this show because he's a character who could stand there and say, "I have uh, multiple centuries of memory, lineage, and experience to pull up information from the past that you don't have." Right. So, like the scene we see where he's having that memory of the weird, twisted hellscape and the little figure in the blaze of fire. Yeah. We don't know what that is, and that's like, oh shit. That is the destruction of a nation that we know about in the lore. And yes, he would know about that. And here's these things. And here it all comes together. Yeah. But he but doesn't. Time, Jace is right. Jace saw the magic that he experienced in the Freljord that teleported him and his mother back. Yeah. So there's, it's a big complicated thing that doesn't have a clear answer. Yeah. Well, and 
here's an here's another thing. Like, I still don't like Heimerdinger that much, right? Like, <laughs> I, I I I'm I I'm less suspicious of his motives. But here's here's a truism that he's fallen victim to, and this is this is part of what I think turns him into that Cassandra character, where it's like. I can tell you what's going to happen, but you won't believe me. And and so that curses me to watch this happen over and over again. And I think that's something that is, as as I get older, I, I have to fight falling into that myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but you can't put, you can't close Pandora's box once it's open. You can't put the things back in there. You can't put a genie back in the bottle, right? Once you've split the atom, you have to figure out how to deal with it. And he Heimerdinger's immediate response to this new hex core is it has to be destroyed too late, bro. Yeah. It's the genie's out of the bottle. You know, you're, you've, 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 you know, set off the test at Trinity. It's done. You got to figure out how to deal with it. Now you yeah. can't go back. And while his unique instinctive, you know, visceral reaction is perhaps justified based on this memory that just flashed up for a second. It was very quick. Um, while it's certainly justified, that doesn't change the reality of the situation. Mark those words, <laughs> almost verbatim. Someone on the show is going to say them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're spot on, Casey. And I think Heimerdinger's biggest mistake is not, with all his thousands of years of experience, not accounting for the fact that not everyone's going to take him at his word. Yeah. And that you need to, if you want a say over what Jason and Victor are doing, you have to let them feel like they're going to make, be able to make progress at a reasonable rate. Because had he like, oh, just give it a few more years. It's like, no, talk to them, reason mm -hmm. with them, mm -hmm. get them to take reasonable precautions while they continue to research. And then maybe they'll take your opinion seriously instead yep. of just eventually steamrolling you. And again, I, I hearken back to the last scene where Jace is making deals and Joel and Heimerdinger are enjoying the opera. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to, if people would stop right. talking. Um, but that Heimerdinger is so complacent that the balance of power is shifting all around him. And he never even realizes that. Yeah. That he's yeah. held in such respect that he doesn't have to fight for his position or make compromises to keep his position. And right. It's the the inevitable. This is one of one of my top ten moments in the show is when Heimerdinger is ousted because he just failed. He's you know, got a statue in the opening it. credits, and so he feels like he's got his. He doesn't need to do any more work to keep his position, <laughs> and he is wrong because it wasn't in this opening credits. Right. Well, <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm sure he thought that he was doing what he needed to do to remain relevant. I'm sure he thought that he was doing the right thing, that he was doing the work of, of shepherding his city, but he made that fundamental mistake of thinking you could put a genie back in a bottle and you can't. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I, you know, the Jace plot feels like the B plot, I think early in the show and, and it is the B plot. I mean, you know, Jinx and yeah, Bob the sisters. Yeah. But man, does it feel really co-equal at this point to me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just as yeah. invested in what happens with Mel, Jason, Victor, as yeah. I am what happens with Vi, Caitlin, and Jinx. I, I really, really am fascinated by it. Um, but And can we talk, I know that this happened in the last episode, but can we just mention real quick, let, you know, speaking of the opera sequence, 
how fast was Mel able to talk uh, Jace into compromising his principles? We talked about how leadership is hard and you, you end up in a position where you have to make those choices, but old dude didn't struggle that hard. Like she didn't, she didn't really have to twist, you know? <laughs> how hard is it for you to get what you want out of easy? <laughs> well, I mean, it depends you know, on what it is and you're not yeah. going to compromise his principles. I get right. that. But like, I think the thing she was asking him to do while gray area and questionable didn't require him to violate something core. Right. You know, like, and she was offering him something he really wanted in exchange for it. In addition to her just being a seductive presence, um, right. both literally and metaphorically. Right. Um, so yeah, I, you're right. That was, that was a quick heel turn, mm -hmm. but I could also buy it. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I can buy it because she's that good. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, yeah. and that, and and that's what I keep coming back to when we, you know, when you talk about their interaction and 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 them sleeping together, which happened after she was that persuasive, not before, which I think is an is an important key point because it would have felt fake if she would have slept with him beforehand. It's like obviously yeah. she's using sex to manipulate you. No, 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 she did it after. She's still using mm -hmm. sex to manipulate him, but it's much more subtle because she's much better at it than that, right? Um, she, yeah, um, sh she's. It just. It shows you again that this is what, while she is probably fully enjoying this relationship, and um, and while she is probably, you know, while her vulnerability appears to be genuine and she genuinely has affection for him, doesn't mean she's not using it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yes, this is credit to her. So this is not saying she didn't fight him. This is credit to how well she did it consider that it's maybe less of a heel turn and more of a learning curve, right? Yeah. What, what Jace wanted to do is he wanted to establish safety over the shipping. Imports of wine from Noxian are not the problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. he did this naive, third day on the job, broad everything overkill. She's like, that's overkill. What you actually want to focus on is getting these people on board to help you support the stuff you really wanted. So yeah. I think it actually, like him as a learning curve thing. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I agree. And I and I definitely think that's how he saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't the ask wasn't betray who you are necessarily. Right. The ask was approach this with a little more delicacy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. So but then we so again, I love this plot line. I'm just as interested in it as I am the A plot, but back to the A plot. I love the torch sequence. Yes. And Beautiful. I love so well done. I, I love it visually and I love dramatically because what you the predictable thing is she holds the torch up. The predictable thing. She holds the torch up. Vi is prevented through no fault of her own by making it, and they don't reunite. Yeah. That is the predictable cheap thing that most writers would do, and they didn't do it. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was so excited. So proud of them. Yeah. Uh, I was like, good job, guys. Like, <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, and then you're so mad at the fucking fireflies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and it's such great, like, tension building because, like, Caitlin shows up and you're like, oh, no, Caitlin, stand of you. Okay. Okay. We've got this. Ah, shit, the fireflies. Like, <laughs> like, like, it's like so much going wrong at once, but 
not in in a way that is neither predictable nor a stupid subversion. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. call it a stupid subversion of expectations. Like, God's so good, guys. Your 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 thoughts. I don't know what's happening next, right? Yeah. Like, I'm looking at I'm looking at at uh, at Jinx's face as she's fighting, and she, you know, we we get that like again, we get that close up of her, and she sees that they're taking Vi, and we look, we see her face, and I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if she's like, oh, I'm going after them, or if she's like, because she heard him say, take her. Don't kill her, take her. So is she is she thinking that Vi is working with them? Is she thinking that like now she has to go rescue her sister? Does she not care because she let Powder die and now she's fully Jinx because Jinx is perfect? I I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just I'm super curious what's gonna happen next. <laughs> Cause I've been curious about the I mean, and again, very skillfully done on the part of the writers and the and the artists of these hints that we have about, you know, who are these people? Why do they care? What it, what what is it that the you know the hexgate shipping is to them, and why are they aligned against Silco? You know, um, but not aligned with like anyone else that we can see. Who are they? Um, and I'm excited to find out. Go well, ahead. I got the Jinx crazy. Oh, go What's ahead. That? Well, I got to see the Jinx crazy. Uh-huh. Um, Jinx immediately snapped into lethal force overdrive like yep. no negotiation no talk immediate lethal force and vi noticed and vi that, noticed which was very cool very coolly done too you see her going like holy shit as <laughs> you know jinx is opening up with effectively a steampunk minigun which holy shit i want one of those <laughs> named pow pow mm. <laughs> nice Eventually yeah fish bones um the seeing Jinx and Vi fight back to back was glorious. Beautiful. Uh, game thing, you know, you, you see, so Jinx isn't like nearly, she's not as parkour, she's not like superhumanly fast, but she's always doing these little, just barely enough micro dots. And it's gorgeous. In the actual game, that is a core game mechanic. Oh, awesome. Um, it, is, it requires extremely high levels of player skill to execute it, but yeah. she has a better ability to do micro movement in the game to get out of the way of incoming projectiles or attacks than any other character. Huh, that's super cool. It's yeah, because I noticed that too. That was, that was because one of the things that's been impressing me about Jinx since, um, what is it, episode three or four, when we actually see her as, you know, the grown or grown up <laughs> girl or whatever. Um, is her her body movements her her posture her staging I, I don't know what the right words are but everything she like the way that she pulls a gun and points it you know not necessarily super combat effective but way cinematically effective yeah you know yeah. um the in that same fight sequence there's a there's a move where she um is it that same fight? it might have been a different one but but there's something where she like you know, she dodges something and moves away, and then you realize that she stuck one of her little bombs to the back of of someone, and and it, it explodes. Like, just incredible economy of movement combined with like beautiful, you know, out of this world choreography that is that is Im- 
possible would be impossible for a human to to do you know given the laws of physics in the actual real world space um but it's gorgeous and it's amazing and and i love it it's very again very cinematic and very like badass heroine inspirational you know yeah and yeah. despite the fact that it's animated and violates the laws of physics it still feels i said this in the first episode and i'll say it again now it still feels more real yeah than the cgi shit fests we get at the end of most live action blockbusters yes yeah despite yeah. the fact that it's completely stylized it yep. still has more weight to it yes uh, than anything else Joelle, and the same is true actually this episode especially I kind of felt like I was watching, I was actually watching Breaking Bad and Powder is like doing the Breaking Bad development. It's just, you know, with more teen angst and less, you know, chemical science of, of creating mm -hmm. the shimmer because she's not the shimmer distributor. She's just part of the muscle and, yeah. and maybe she's going to take over as being in charge of the shimmer, but, but we will see. Yeah. yeah. And then in the end, I think it's, it's more going to be about what Jinx wants than, than trying to be a good person and she is she is gonna do what what she thinks is right for her is what i'm guessing yeah and i feel like i feel like the drawing of jinx has as much emotive power as walter white and i just love it yeah yeah, yeah. okay last thoughts before we get to the closeout because we are pushing time that that breaking bad jinx comment was was my last thought That's okay. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a, uh, this this episode had a lot of really good lines in it too. Um, I yeah. can't pick one out like I did last time, but, uh, um, but yeah, I, I just can't wait to see what happens next. I can't wait to see who these fireflies are and mm -hmm. what, what's Jinx going to do? What's Caitlin going to do? What's Mel going to do? What's Jace going to do? What's, what is Victor going to do? You know, like, yeah. So. Yeah, and and if, if for viewers, tell us in the comments: uh, Are both plots keeping you hooked the way they are us? Do you favor the Jace Victor Mel story over the Vi Caitlyn Jinx story, or are you like me, like us, really sucked into both? And what is your favorite line uh, from this episode? Since Casey yeah. failed us and didn't write down her favorite <laughs> line in this one, clearly. Um, I'll make sure and make notes next time. <laughs> Yeah, I'll stop hazing my co-hosts. Brian, any last observations before we start the closeout? Love the end fight for reasons I described. Yeah. So looking forward to the discussions we're going to have in the next few episodes. Oh, yeah, me too, buddy. Me too. All right, so uh, I'll go first this time. I have uh, mine and Casey's and our friend Tom Kratman's novel of an alternate Russian civil war. It's going to be out in paperback. It's already available on ebook and hardback. Joel, thank you for having that handy again. I much appreciate it, my friend. Uh, you can check that out. There'll be a link to that in the links below. Uh, uh, I did Joel first last time. Brian, what are you working on now, and where can people find your work? I am working on an as yet unannounced but highly predictable um, major element of the forthcoming video game, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. It will be available on battle.net, and uh, I can't say that other one yet. On, and, and many other places. <laughs> Casey. Um, I have a short story coming out uh, next month, um, as does Joelle up there, um, in the Hit World Valkyries, um, in the Hit World spinoff series, The Valkyries Initiative, um, or 
that's the title of the anthology. It's edited by Marisa Wolf with independent publisher Chris Kennedy Publishing. So you can check that out. It's going to be very exciting. And then in addition to that, um, also in September, I have No Game for Nights, which is a noir anthology exploring the dark side of science fiction and fantasy heroes um, that I co-edited with Larry Correa. And let me see if I can show you some of the... Oh, sorry. This is... The names. I'm making myself oh, sick here. Laurel K. Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a, a little yeah. Named Laurel K. Hamilton. Laurel K. Hamilton. Yeah. May have heard of her. Um, oh. Yeah. So we've, we've got an all-star lineup and um, you're going to really love it. So you should definitely check that out. It is, this is the uh, ARC, the advanced reader copy. It is available in eARC on Bain.com. Um, like Joelle said, you don't have to hack the server. You can just pay money. <laughs> awesome. And Joelle. All right, this is not available in EARC yet, but you can pre-order it. Can I make this? So uh, the next David Weber Honor Harrington short story collection, it has a title, it has a cover, What Price Victory? Um, Ooh, nice. The short stories in, in this anthology are about 30,000 word long, words long, so they're not particularly short. <laughs> I, I, I made my my Cleveland area writers group people laugh quite a bit when I explained that that, that was a short story. <laughs> yeah, David Weber, it's a very short story. Yes. So there, For most a, people, it's a novella. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a Joel Presby honorverse short story, short story, and that that's uh, more more of the Grayson characters that my very first- oh, I love Grayson. My very first story that I got paid for started with these characters, and now four stories later, I'm still getting paid for them. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, my favorite Honor Harrington novel. There are many awesome Honor Harrington novels, but my favorite one remains the second one, Honor of the Queen, where Grayson is introduced. So yeah. I'm glad to hear you're you're writing in that venue. Um, thanks so much, guys, for showing up. Thank you for watching. And if you've enjoyed our content, please like, subscribe, hit the bell. Uh, again, tell us what you think about both the A plot, the B plot, and the dialogue in this show, um, or challenge any of our opinions in the comments. We all love a good rollicking debate. Um, and please don't forget, if you're listening to this on audio, please leave us a five-star review on your audio podcast menu of choice. Links to all our work will be below. Please consider picking up a book or a game to, to support us. And that is all the time we have for the Lauren Valor podcast. I will see you next time. Until then, keep up the fire.